0: are continuing our sermon series and we're calling it Get Real and we're really we're looking at Acts 15 and so if you have your Bible you might want to open that up to Acts 15 or you can get out your phone and look like you're looking at your Bible and play whatever game you want to play while I preach but uh, you can act like you're on Acts 15 there. Um, The reason we're calling it Get Real is because you know, there is a, there's an idea out there, and it goes something like this. It's not even really a, a Christian idea. There's just this idea that we all have in life. Maybe it's instilled in us early that we think that if, if we work hard, if we do the right things, and, it, you know, if, if, we're, if we're making all the right decisions, then obviously then everything will work out right all the time, right? <laughs> For some reason... The same people in this area laughed before, J.B., I don't know what it is, but now, if you, I know that many of you have no idea who I'm looking at, but we're looking at J.B. Parton over here. J.B.'s 92. If you're going to listen to somebody about life, listen to a 92-year-old about life. That's it. When he just <laughs>, laughs, there you go. So when he laughs about this notion that we have this idea that, well, if I just do everything right, it's all going to work out right, the truth is, when you've lived a little while, you figure out that it doesn't always work out that way. Now... It should, shouldn't it? I mean, it should, but it doesn't. And you see, we have that idea in life, and we tend to let that idea kind of creep into the way that we view what it means to be a Christian. You know, you, perhaps you're sitting here today and you're going, I, I don't believe really in God. I'm just, you know, here for a different reason, or maybe you're curious about this. And, and sometimes we have these misconceptions that sneak their way into the way that people view Christianity, because then they may take this idea and they take it up to a different level and they say, well, really now, if I become a Christian and I do everything that God wants me to do and I pray about it and we come to decisions and we do the right things and everybody's going to be happy, we're all going to get along, everything's going to fall into place in life and it's all going to work out. Well, I'm sad to inform you that it doesn't work out that way as a believer or as a Christian either. There's just a, a fact that really factors into all this thing is that we live in a world that's broken. And the world is broken by our sinfulness. And we have to figure out, then what does it mean for me to walk and live in a world that's broken? And as I said before, perhaps it's your first time with us this morning. We're certainly glad you're here. We, over the past few weeks, have been looking at Acts chapter 15. And I'm going to highlight some things that we've been talking about over the past few weeks. So we'll catch everyone up to what we want to talk about today. In Acts chapter 15, here's what's going on. There are there's men named Paul and a man named Barnabas, and they are some leaders in the church in Antioch. And what's happening at this point in time in history is that there are there are people who are beginning to become Christians. They're beginning to put their faith in God, and they're not Jewish people. Because before this point in time, uh, Jesus was sent and he was a Jewish Messiah, and so the Jews. Uh, Started uh, their belief in Him. And when you see the first part of the book of Acts, that the church is in Jerusalem, and the people who are being converted to be followers of Christ are all Jewish, and then all of a sudden Pentecost happens, and things begin to break out, and Stephen gets martyred, and things begin to break out even farther. And so what's beginning to happen is now you have these people who didn't grow up that way starting to show up at church. It's a lovely and wonderful, tremendous problem to have. Because they start messing up everything that's going on. And the people who have been coming to church or who have been following Christ for this time are going, well, we don't, we don't know how to tell these people what they should do and how to follow Jesus. And so here was the debate that happens at the, begin, the beginning of Acts chapter 15. Is that some people are saying, well, we as Jews have a certain way that we live. There's rules that we follow. There's, you know, things that we do to show our dedication our devotion to the lord and this is what we do and we believe that anybody even if they're not a jew is coming to put their faith in christ that they need to start doing everything like we are doing it and then there's another side of the debate where if they're not jews how should why should that can't be right because these people are coming to christ but they're not jews how should why should we make them become jews because that that really might, might not really have anything to do with what it means to be a Christian, and they're debating about this. They're, they're really, it's kind of a heated debate. It's an argument that's happening. And within this church in Antioch, the leaders are having this long back-and-forth debate and back-and-forth debate, and they can't come to a conclusion. So a few weeks ago, what we looked at, first of all, in Acts chapter 15, is that these men, Paul and Barnabas, who we now, you fast forward a couple of thousand years, and we know the rest of their story and, and we see the people who Paul and Barnabas became and everything that Paul and Barnabas accomplished. And we tend to think of them as, wow, Paul and Barnabas, man, there's these, man, just pillars and leaders in the church. And they were then. But at this point in time, in the church, there were some people who had more authority than they did. And so they couldn't figure out what to do in their church. And so they traveled 250 miles back to Jerusalem to present their problem to the leaders of the church to say, okay, here's the debate that's going on. What are we supposed to do about this? And what we talked about a few weeks ago with this idea was that we need to understand if if we're going to become a follower of Jesus Christ, what we're doing is we're actually coming to a point in our life where we say that God's authority is greater than my opinion. And so that's what we talked about a few weeks ago, just this idea that there are people in the church, they had opinions on both sides of this argument, and passionate opinions, and important opinions, and they, they couldn't come to a conclusion. And so what they did was they defaulted to the authorities in which God had established above them. And we talked a few weeks ago about the fact that God has established authorities in our life as well. He's established authorities within the family. He's established authorities within our jobs. He's established authorities within the church, within the state and the city and the, all these type of things. And we might not agree all the time with these authorities, but we need to understand that God has put those authorities in place, and we also understand that the Greatest authority comes from God's Word. And so one of the things that it means, if we're going to get real about what it means to be a follower of Christ, it means this, is that God's authority is greater than my opinion. We come to that point in our life where we say, I lay my opinions and my life aside to do what God is leading us to do. And we believe in doing that, then that God will lead us to have the best life. Now, where we get off, I go back to this idea earlier. Where we sometimes get off on that is we think, well what that means is then everything's going to work out swimmingly, and we're all going to get along, we're all going to be happy, and we're all, it doesn't always work out that way. It just means that God has a plan for us, and God is chapter 15, as they were debating. And then the second thing that they were really doing here in Acts chapter 15, is they were debating, okay, how then do people come to know Christ? What does it mean to be a Christian and to walk with Christ? And what they determined within Acts chapter 15, these people called the Jerusalem Council, as they debated, they they came to this conclusion that it is by the grace of God alone that people know, know Christ. It's by the grace of God alone that they have salvation. They didn't do anything to earn it. So all the things that we did, what they were saying at the council, all the things that we've done as Jews doesn't give us any more favor in God's eyes. Because God poured out his spirit on the non-Jews, the Gentiles, just like he poured out his spirit on us. So God is showing no favoritism and no distinction. And so we shouldn't show favoritism or distinction. And so we just need to understand that it's God's grace alone that gives us salvation. I cannot earn my salvation. I cannot earn it, but I can certainly live it out once I have it. And it's this idea that God has given us a gift. Now, some of us have trouble with that because we look at that and go, that's just too good to be true. Because man, when you look at my past, you go, how can God know all these things about me and yet still pour out his love and grace as a gift for me and, 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 and offer me the opportunity to have a life that, that goes beyond what I could possibly imagine? Well, That's the grace alone of God. It's not something that we necessarily have to explain or understand. That's where the faith comes in where you say, okay, God, it's by your grace that I've done these things. Not anything that I've done on my own works, not anything that I can earn or deserve, it's your grace. And so that's the second thing that we saw in Acts chapter 15. And then last week... We came to this part where where James, who was kind of the leader at the church at that point in time, or one of the main leaders at the church, was summing it all up. And he's saying, okay, so what we have here is we have the Jews and we have the Gentiles. We know it's by grace alone that God saves us. So how do we actually live then together in a Christian community, even though we might have some different beliefs or some different thoughts? And so James says these words in Acts chapter 15, verse 19. I love it. It's worth reading again. He says, therefore, in my judgment... We should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. What James is saying is there are people out there who are wanting to turn to God, and we don't need to add a Jesus plus theology to them. Well, you need to give your life to Jesus plus you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to do these things. And let me just tell you something. That's not an issue just for this time. It's an issue for our day as well. Because there are people out there who will tell you that, well, you need to give your life to Christ. And when you do, let me give you the list of 17 things that you have to do to follow him after that. And so sometimes it's confusing, but it comes from sincerity. It's the fact that when you have overwhelming grace poured out in your life, you want to respond by doing something. But what you need to understand, and what James is saying here, is that we need to understand that we don't make it difficult on people so that they can live out their faith in God. We just need to point them in the right direction. So he says these things. It's a very Jewish thing he's talking about here. He says, instead, we should write to them, meaning the Gentiles, to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that's been strangled, and from blood. And so I know that you're going, what in the world does all this mean? Well, there's three of those things that were very, very exclusive to Jews that if you had If you had anything that was polluted by idols, if you were eating anything that had been strangled or anything with blood, then a Jew could not fellowship with you. So what James was actually saying at this point in time is he said, look, all my Jew peeps, let's get together here. And let's understand that what we need to ask from them is just very simply, if we're going to fellowship with them, that they not do these things. And so he's talking to his own people saying, look, we need to just understand that to fellowship with them it's okay for us to fellowship with them as long as they're just abiding by these three or four things. Now the Jews had a list of laws that was miles long. I mean it was just and to be a good Jew, they were still going to do all of those things. but James wasn't given a plan to disciple people. He was given a plan to have fellowship with people. James was saying, here's how we need to come together. So the important things for James was saying, They're going to have to figure out what it looks like to follow God as a Gentile. We as Jews have a way that we do it, but we can't force them to do that our way. And so there's a principle there that we can take today is that we just need to understand this. And this is scary for some people to hear because it's a lot easier to have the rules all detailed out. But the truth of it is, is that God meets each and every one of us where we are. And he calls each one of us in perhaps a little bit of a different way. And he puts us in different positions, you know. Some of us are teachers. Some of us are, are coaches. Some of us work in finance. Some of us work in, you know, building homes. Some of us are pastors. Some of us are lawyers. Some of us are policemen. Some of us, and, and God calls you to live out your faith in the way that he's wired you and he's instructed you. And this is what James is saying. We need to work on fellowshipping together. But then we need to encourage one another as they learn to live out their faith for God. So you might think that, you know, you first hear that and you go, well, I get to do whatever I want. Well, that's the truth about the freedom in Christ. You can do whatever you want, but that doesn't mean it's always beneficial. That's a whole nother sermon, and you can find that in Corinthians, by the way. So what it means is as you pursue Christ, you can learn from other people. You can do better by watching some of the things that they do, but ultimately, we're just trying to be like Christ, and we don't want anything to stand in the way. And so ultimately, this decision That this council came to it, had a twofold purpose, if you want to just boil it down to this. Number one, they wanted to confirm that it is by the grace of God alone that we have salvation. That's it. Nothing else. It's by God's grace. It was his gift. He did it. We are just a recipient of it. And it was poured out on Jews and Gentiles alike by the grace and by the authority of God alone. And so they confirmed that it is the grace of God alone that offers us salvation. And then the second thing that's happening overall in this passage is this. He's saying, we need to do whatever we can to preserve Christian unity with other people. So ultimately, the two things that come out of this, it's grace alone, that we have salvation, a gift of God, and then we need to do whatever we can to preserve Christian unity with others. Meet them where they are. Help them along the way. Put some things aside, even though it may be important to you, if it's not essential to salvation, then be willing to help meet people where they are to help them move along. This is what he's saying. As a matter of fact, Paul kind of sums it up in, his, in one of his later writings in the book of Romans. He says in Romans twelve eighteen, If possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Some of you go, well, now hold on a minute. That's what we started the whole thing off with. I just want peace. I just want to be able to to get, I want everything to just kind of work out and, and, and be happy. And so how do I do that? Well, it's like I said, following Christ doesn't guarantee that everybody else is going to be happy around you and everything's going to work out. But you do get that peace of knowing that there's a God who loves you so much that in his grace he gave his son so that you can be forgiven of sins and that you can have a life in a future. And we're going to come to that in a minute. And so I want you to hear that this is a message of hope. But before we get to the message of hope, I want you to see the realness of some things that happened in this passage. So you get the picture. There was a conflict in the church. There was a disagreement. They came together to the authorities. The authorities made a decision. It was, it was very formal. It was very clear. And then we pick it up in verse 30, and we see what happens from this. They take this letter and this decision, and they're taking it back to the church. Verse 30, it says, So they were sent off, Paul and Barnabas, they were sent off and went down to Antioch, the place it all started, and after gathering the assembly, they delivered the letter, the decision that had been made. When they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Both Judas and Silas, who were also prophets themselves, Encourage the brothers and sisters and strengthen them with a long message. I want you to underline long message in your Bible. Just kidding. Some of y'all caught that, didn't you? All right, next time I go long, just remember Acts six fifteen thirty two. 32. There we go. They strengthened them with a long message. Verse 33, after spending some time there, they were sent back in peace by the brothers and sisters to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas, along with many others, remained in Antioch, teaching and proclaiming the word of God. So here's your picture. After this decision has been made, the, the Jerusalem council saw. well, let's not just send Paul and Barnabas back. Let's send a contingency of people back. And along the way, we'll share with the churches that was the decision that was made. And what happens is they go back to Antioch and they share the decision. Is that not everybody rejoiced? You want to know why not everyone rejoiced? You, you understand that there's a principle of leadership and there's a principle of life that happens here. It happens anytime your family is trying to decide what's for dinner. It happens anytime that you're trying to choose where you're going on vacation. It happens that there are choices that are out there, and there's somebody that really wants this choice, and there's somebody that really wants this choice. And the leadership comes and says, this is the way that we're going. And these people who wanted this to happen, as much as they would love to be happy with it, they're not always happy with it. And so these people who, who love the Lord and who are very serious in saying that we believe that these people who have come to Christ, should not just come to Christ, but they should also do all, all the things that Jews do. We know from reading ahead in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 21, we know from reading ahead in some of Paul's journeys, if you read the book of Galatians, that they created a group called the Judaizers, and they actually went around, they didn't call themselves that, they didn't get patches printed on the back of jackets or anything like that, they just became known as the Judaizers. They went around to everywhere that Paul went, and he was trying to spread the gospel. And when Paul would preach the gospel, they would follow in behind him, and they would cause trouble. And they would say, no, you need to do what Paul did, plus you need to do everything that it means to be a Jew. And they continued to cause trouble. Just because the church had made a decision and just because the leaders had put something out there, not everybody was happy. And so we know that happened from this passage, but we also know what's happening here is that Paul and Barnabas were there together and they were encouraging and they were growing the church and they were doing everything that they can to spread this and to and to be unifying in this, but we know this underbelly was coming, and we'll get to that in a little while when we get to that part of the book of Acts. But then I want you to notice this again the realness of this passage. If you're not familiar, how did Paul and Barnabas come together? Let me tell you. Paul was miraculously saved on the road to Damascus. He had an experience where Jesus Christ just Shown on him, and he was on his way to Damascus to kill and to persecute Christians, and God intervened in his life and changed his direction, and because of what he used to be, nobody wanted anything to do with Paul. When, when he first became a Christian, people were like, yeah, but that's that guy that used to, hmm. yeah, that happens today too, unfortunately. Sometimes there's some people who, who sincerely want to follow Christ, and then it's just hard for some people to let go of, of their past. But this is what was happening, and the, the one person that did that, we know from Scripture, was Barnabas. Barnabas came along to Paul, and he's like, all right, I'll take this guy under my wing. Barnabas was a leader in the church at that time, and he took Paul. And we know that he spent, from that point in time, he spent all this time with Paul. And he was helping Paul, and he was training Paul. And they went everywhere together. They did everything together, and they were at work. And it, it seems like up to this point in the book of Acts, when you see Paul, it's Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas was known as the son of encouragement. I mean, what a great name. And we know the mind that Paul had, a great, I mean, a very headstrong person, a very smart person who was just raised and knew the law like the back of his hand and was able to go into these places and debate and argue. And so they had gone around, and they had already had this missionary journey to churches. Let's pick it up in verse 36 and see what happens. After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we've preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to do the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Can we just stop right there for just a minute? That's... that's, You might not know that, but that's a what moment when you're reading the Bible. I know you may not be familiar with it and other things like that, but you got to understand this Barnabas was the person who, who was Paul's mentor. And they had done everything together. You just saw him take this trek from Antioch to Jerusalem to debate things and go back and they're sharing the word. It says they were in Antioch a long time encouraging the people. And then they say, hey, let's go on a mission trip. Let's do this thing again. And, and I want you to hear this is a principle we talked about in this series as well. It's not what they wanted to do. They were both in agreement about what needed to happen. It's how they were going to do it that caused the agreement. Because Barnabas wanted to take Mark. Barnabas, imagine that the son of encouragement wanted to go. Come on, let's give Mark another. Come on, we'll be. Let's just take Mark with Paul's like no. He left us hanging. Now, when you read scripture here and it says that they had a sharp disagreement, can I just tell you when you go back to the, the original language that this was written in, they had a very heated argument. It was, it was quite the discussion, we shall say. And it caused them, it was so serious, it caused them to part company. And it says in verse, in the end of 39 and of 40, Barnabas took Mark with him and he went to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed after being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord. He traveled through Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So now, hold on a minute here. You're, you're telling me that these men who had fought for the church and who had they had such a disagreement that they just went, you know what? It's time for you go your way and I'll go my way. Well, let's let's get real about this. I love the fact that Scripture puts this right here. It makes me uncomfortable, but I love it. Because it's real. It's life. There are some times that we run into things in life and they're they're just, they're hard. Truth is, I said it just a second ago, I'll say it again. Oftentimes when you really look at it, it's not what you want to do. It's how you go about doing it that causes a disagreement and difficulty with other people. And this is what's true here. But we see that there was division between Paul and Barnabas. And like I already told you before, we, we see that what happened from the Jerusalem council didn't make everybody happy. There was a people who didn't get their way, and they didn't just graciously go, well, thank you, well, you know, we respect that. They went around causing trouble with this. So there's a very real thing that we need to learn here. Let's get real and, and, and understand some things. Okay, well, if this is what life is really like, how do I live it out? What does it mean to be a believer? Well, the first thing that you need to understand here And we just need to let sink in. And remember, I told you this is a message of hope, so I promise I will get to the hope part in a second. But we need to understand, first of all, there's no ideal situation. Men. And they're Okay, we live in a broken world. And these are still men. And they're men who have opinions and they're men who struggle, and they're men who are broken. And we just need to understand that they just got in a situation where they go, I, I just believe so strongly about this that we we can't come together on this point. It's it's it truly is a little bit heartbreaking. Now I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. They reconcile. Okay, you can read ahead and you can see where things happen later, where they're commended, they're commending one another, and, and it all kind of settles down. But they had this moment, and it wasn't a good moment. You know some. Some of the people, when you look at this, you have a tendency, anytime this happens, let's just be honest. Are you a Paul person or are you a Silas person? You know, well, who was right? You know? And you have a tendency where some people are looking, well, you know, Silas was just trying, I mean, I'm sorry, Barnabas. You have a Paul, Paul person or a Barnabas person. You're, you're looking and you're going, well, Barnabas was just trying to you know, do kind of the same thing he did for Paul. Let's give him a second chance. Nobody else wanted to do him. Let's do this. Why wouldn't Paul understand that he had done that for him? I just, you know, I'm warm and fuzzy over here with Barnabas. And then there's some of us who are Paul people like, dude had his chance. He left me hanging. I'm not taking him again. I learned my lesson. I'm not taking him on another trip where I need to rely on him, and then I'm hung out to dry, and I'm having to do nope, I'm over here. And I guarantee if we were to talk about this, there would be Paul people and there would be Barnabas people were are going, I kind of tend to go one way or another. That's just that's how it is. And it's difficult. But So how do you move forward with that? You understand there's no ideal situation. There's no perfect church. We look back at some of the principles we've seen before. There is God's authority that's leading things. And that's where we have to go back to. There is God's grace that covers these hard-headed men. Because let's just be honest, that's what they were. And there's God's grace that covers them and helps them move through that. But there is a situation here that happened. And the second thing that we see in this is that God accomplishes his purpose despite the brokenness of these men. You know, we can't look at this and go... Well, it turned out good because they actually went on two mission trips instead of one. Now, what we see here is that God was still able to accomplish what he wanted, even though it didn't turn out the way that maybe it should have or could have. God's will is still being accomplished, even though in our brokenness sometimes we don't make the right choices or the good choices. God is still able to do good things with broken people. There's a little bit of a message of hope for us this morning is that life's not always going to be perfect, and sometimes it's your fault that it's not. But even in the midst of that, that doesn't thwart the will of God, and it doesn't make things end as in, oh, I can't do anymore. No, God can still move in this. It's very sad because Barnabas lost the companionship of possibly one of the most powerful missionaries of all time. And Paul lost the companionship of a friend and a mentor and an encourager. They were a pretty incredible team, but at this point in time, they, they went their separate ways. So the question for us is: If we're going to be real with this, okay, well, when I run into these situations, how do I? How do I move on? How do I move forward? Because sometimes life just kind of punches us in the mouth, doesn't it? We, we want things to work out. We want things to kind of fit all together. But we just sometimes run into a situation where we go, "This isn't working out like I wanted." And we all have a tendency at that point in time to perhaps maybe shut down a little bit or back off a little bit or maybe even get more defensive or more bristly. or work, And it's just not good. So what does it look like for us to move on? Well, there's a message of hope in this. And again, because we know the end of the story, it really helps us with this. But we need to understand something is that three things I want to share with you before we wrap this up. First thing is this. We need to understand that because of God's grace poured out on us, free gift of grace, that my mistakes don't define my future. My mistakes don't have to define my future. Now, you may be sitting there going, well, Linda, I'm not so sure that that was a mistake. I, I don't know if this was a mistake or not, but I know I've made mistakes. So let's just put Paul and Barnabas aside for just a little bit, and let me just tell you from me. I know that my mistakes, because of the grace of God, no longer have to define my future. And I know that there are times that I wake up in the morning and it seems like my mistakes are piled in a you know, a few thousand pound bags that are sitting right on my chest and it just makes me go, I just don't even want to get out of bed this morning. And it seems like the past just shows up every once in a while, just wants to beat me around for a little bit and remind me of what things used to be and remind me of the dumb things that I've done and remind me of the people I've hurt and remind me of the things that I've said. But it's because of the grace of God that I can be reminded that my mistakes don't define my future. And that I can have hope in today and I can have hope in a future and in tomorrow because it's by the grace of God, not by what I did, that I have salvation and I have hope and I have a future. And so my mistakes are not going to throw God's will off course. God is still going to be on his throne. God is still going to be moving forward. And that gives me hope is that, yeah, I can acknowledge that I haven't been right in things all the time in the past, but I can admit that and I can move on and say, you know what, I can't go back and fix some of these things, but I can know that in the future that God can continue to use me. And I'm not talking about the future like trudge through this life and one day just skate into heaven and go, I'm glad that's over. I'm talking about the fact that tomorrow can be better than today, that you can get up and you can have hope and you can get up and you can have joy and you can have peace and you can have encouragement no matter what your past was like because of the hope that God will give in your life because of the grace that he gives you see it works like this the probably the most famous verse in all of scripture John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but will have everlasting life that gives us hope that's the grace of God that's the gospel in a nutshell you know, there's another verse that says that Romans 6.23 kind of puts it in a different way, but Paul's writing, and he gives a little bit more straightforward, and he says it this way. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, meaning that the things that we've done when we've sinned, what we've earned, the wage that we've earned is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I meaning it's a gift. You you don't earn a gift. I can't do anything to earn a gift. Just because it's your birthday, you didn't earn a gift. Somebody still has to love and care about you enough to go, I would like to give them something. You don't earn it just because things happen. And so this is the same thing that's true here. My mistakes don't define my future. And so these difficulties that I face, even though life might not go how I want it, and we see it right here, we also see the end of the story where things continue to come together because these are people who said, you know what, I'm not going to let my mistakes define my future. I'm going to accept the grace of God in my life and I'm going to move on. And that leads to the second thing that we just need to understand. God's grace is for me and everyone else too. God's grace is for me first. You have my permission to be selfish. Because God's grace is for you first, and then it's for everyone else. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, here's the truth of this, is that some people have trouble moving on in life because they don't really accept God's grace for themselves. They kind of beat themselves up a little bit. They, they maybe don't like themselves or maybe a little bit hard on themselves. They don't really live in such a way that they that they accept this gift that God has given them. And so, therefore, they have trouble Dealing with the things in their own life, which just complicates things even further in dealing with anybody else. They tend to not receive God's grace in their life, and so therefore they tend to not give God's grace to anyone else. And that's when you start getting people who come up with lists of rules and a Jesus plus theology. Which says, well, if you'll, if you'll follow Jesus plus if you'll do all these things, and then you'll, you'll, you'll feel better. And it'll be, be good because you can go back to this checklist and you can check that I did that and I did that and I did that and I did that. And so, ah, it's Jesus plus these things makes me feel good. And that's that's not what it is. God's grace is sufficient for you. And you accept that and you just say, God, I don't deserve it. I'm, t- I'm telling you, that's what they struggled with in Acts 15 because I guarantee there's people that's going, but that's, is that enough? <laughs> yeah. God's already done everything that you need to receive forgiveness and grace and the promise of a hope and a future. It's a gift, but you have to take it. And then when you have that gift, when you've accepted it, and you let God's grace pour over you, and you find that forgiveness of sins, and you find that hope and that reason to get up in the morning and to live life a little bit differently with a little bit different direction and a little bit different attitude, then it comes a lot easier to be able to share that with other people. So God's grace is for me and for everybody else as well. And when you've accepted that, it's easier to share that with other people as well. And when you come to that place, the last thing I want to say to you this morning is then you have what you need to move on, no matter what the past has and no matter what the future holds. There's a lot of times that, yeah, the past is making it difficult for some of us to move on, but for some of us it's just fear of the future. Just go, I don't know that I want to go there. I don't know that I want to. Well, if I, if I do that, then this might happen. You ever had that conversation in your brain? Just go, I, I don't know how I do this. But it's the grace of God that if you will just follow him. Like I said at the first, I, I can't guarantee that everything just works out exactly like it should be and peace happens with everybody and we all get along. When the truth is it just doesn't because we're in a broken world. But what does happen? is that when you have that grace of God that flows over your heart and you accept that message of Jesus Christ, and we do like what James says, and we say, let's not make it difficult for those who are wanting to turn to God. And we allow people to start turning to God and start going, I need help figuring this out, not following a plan then you be, you're able to come to a place where things get real exciting in life, and there's a hope for a future, and there's a different way of interpreting things, and there's a different way of living, and it's worth getting up in the morning for and putting one foot in front of the other and saying, I have something to live for today. And I know there are people who struggle every day going, I don't, I don't know that I feel that way. But you can feel that way today. You can, you can accept that grace of God. Now, is it going to fix everything? Did I already say it's not? It, it, it might not. Are you going to struggle some more? You you probably will. It's, It's in here, but you're going to have something to hold on to, some hope to come back to, and a reminder that God's grace is enough no matter what it is that you're facing.